0: Hello, and welcome to the Teens for Peace podcast. We're excited you've joined us, whether you're a new or returning listener. Before we get into the content, allow me to introduce myself and a little bit about what I'm setting out to do. My name is Max Hyman. I'm 17 and from the Chicago area, and I have big dreams to make the world a more hospitable, loving, and peaceful place. My vision for that starts with teenagers, See, I've spent over two years exploring the world of teenagers in peacemaking. My project, Teens for Peace in the Middle East, interviews Israeli and Palestinian teenagers to understand their experiences and perspectives on the conflict between their two peoples. Through it, I've found some fascinating trends and patterns. Above all, I discovered that teenagers fit a unique age group in which stereotypes are present but not yet hardened and unchangeable. So I've made it my mission to share the stories of teenagers in conflicts worldwide to help alter untrue stereotypes about the other before they become set in stone. By building a platform of connected teenagers, I hope to contribute towards a more peaceful world where peace starts in youth. This podcast miniseries will discuss in depth each of the questions I've asked over 30 Israeli and Palestinian teens to examine how different experiences have impacted their views on the conflict between their two peoples. The hope is that by the end of this miniseries, both you and I will have a better idea of how we can promote young people in peace building, and understand why young people play such a crucial part not just in conflict, but in bringing about change in multiple contexts. This is the Teens for Peace podcast. Today, for our sixth episode, let's discuss the perpetual nature of the conflict. In my eyes, it's essential that we ask the youth of our societies what they think is behind the struggles they endure. We need to pinpoint the root causes of some of these issues before we can begin to dismantle them. For example, in the 90s, Israel made a diligent and exciting effort towards a peace agreement with Palestinian leaders... But it was bound to fail no matter what because those Palestinian leaders' opinions at the time towards such agreements were not great. Many of those efforts were in vain and we've ended up in a worse spot for it. So in each interview, I ask the interviewee, what do you think right now is the most basic factor for conflict? In other words, why are we still fighting? Is it stereotypes? Maleducation? Something else? Yaniv... Thirteen-year-old Israeli notes,
1: I think um, it's a bit of combined It's a combination of a couple of stuff. Um, first of all, bad education in Israel and maybe in Palestine. Even um, I believe that um, some of the people are taught that Palestinians are really bad, and some people are taught that um, Israelis are really bad. And I don't think that that's true, actually. Hey, as I said, as I said before, um, some people are bad, some people good, are good, but not everybody. And that's important to remember that. Um, Second of all stereotypes, that's um, a really big part of the community and of Israel itself. As in Israel, I can say that. And even um, the reason is, I think just... Um, bad people fighting um bad other bad people and it's um flow and it's coming to um a point that all the, the countries are se- itself are fighting and they cannot get to and uh, they cannot get to peace or however you say. They cannot um get peace because um the the small sides are still fighting and it infects the other big, the other sides.
0: The first thing to notice here is that Yaniv is incredibly well-spoken for a 13-year-old. He understands the nuances of the conflict and is able to discern between different causes of its perpetuating nature. He too is concerned with the ways we teach our kids to view the other. We need to make a stronger effort to clarify to these kids that there is a gray area, and that one group being all good and one being all bad simply isn't realistic or true. In short, we need to teach the nuanced and constantly learning mindset that Yaniv himself has. Honestly, I was blown away by Yaniv's words and their eloquence. We are all being infected by a small number of people who truly hate, clouding the way that we look at the situation. It is not society versus society, but rather a few bad and violent people versus a few bad and violent people. In fact, the societies themselves have tons in common, more in common than they do different. It is of the utmost importance that we minima- minimize the radicalism, creating breathing room for the remainder of peace-loving society to exert their ideas. Moore, 18-year-old Israeli, continues this crucial discussion of unity by saying,
2: I don't know if you're aware, but there were a lot of, I I don't know how to translate that, but uh, very violent acts, like a few months ago, like Mm -hmm. all over Israel. And part of the the talk around that was, so why is this happening just in like a few cities which are mixed? Why is even that a thing, like a mixed city? Why is that that's supposed to be a thing because i i think part of the reason that people don't understand each other don't and fight each other is because they don't know that they, like they, they don't get it they don't get the language they don't get the, get the culture the holidays the right. i don't know the, the way of life the way of living it's something that you don't really you, you can't learn that you can't like go to school and have a lesson about arabic culture and learn arabic culture you need to live can see that and experience that to um i don't know anti-alienate this type of uh, you know um so yeah i think it's really important uh, to live with each other and to be a part of the same community because right now uh, a lot of the times it feels like there are two different you know almost two different states because you have the Arab population and the jewish population that most of the time don't really mix
0: Moore thinks we need to do a better job of making a genuine effort at togetherness and unity. And he's right. During the escalation of May 2021 that he describes, he says that violence was especially bad in mixed cities because of the way those cities are set up. Forced together, not brought together. Thus, he says the reason that we're still fighting is because genuine change can only come when we take the time to actually learn about the other not just Arabic history lessons or Arabic language lessons in Israeli schools, but meeting people, connecting with them, breaking stereotypes, in person, in a way that unravels the formation of hatred young people receive from the media, education, and political leaders. Moore went on to say this.
2: A very good situation, like we're living together, there are some people that are always going to see the enemy in the other group, like the people that are a bit different from them. But I think for most people, at the moment they know like an Arabic person like really well, they have a friend, they have a group of friends that are mixed. They're not going to, you know, see them as the enemy. They might disagree, they might still think that it's supposed to be, you know, a Jewish country, but they're not going to see them as the enemy. And that's, I think, a very big step towards peace, towards, uh, or towards negotiation to start peace. Like you can't really hate like, from your stomach to hate such a big group, right. when you know this, when you know people, when you you know faces. Um, and I think a lot of people are trying to prevent this kind of, you know, um, mix between people because it's so, uh, I mean, it's so powerful, that kind of uh, uh, contact.
0: We'll touch on that very last part of what he said later, but for now I'd like to focus on the way his words are so focused on the idea of humanization and personalization. If we can, each of our own communities, begin to understand and respect the humanity of the people we've been taught to hate, then even hatred becomes closer to just mere disagreement. We can de-radicalize hatred and fear if we allow and encourage people to talk to each other, to form friendships. Moore, for example, participated in Peace Camp, a camp in the U.S. in Maine specifically that brings together Israelis and Palestinians to have dialogue with one another and creates lasting friendships that change stereotypes and have numerous positive externality effects. Programs like these are essential to doing what Moore is saying, to making the other into a group of people instead of the enemy. Uh,
3: First of all, I think that uh, Hamas, that, is a terror organization cannot rule a uh, uh, gaza Strip like the, the palestinians there i think that they need to have a government for for themselves and um, and also to to educate kids about peace since young age since young age and not uh, about war and uh, and hate because no one uh, is born like racist or uh, or hate for the other side. It's something that uh, you learn uh, through the years. So uh, instead of teaching uh, hate, you can teach peace and love, and uh, in in a few decades, it will probably solve
0: it. No one is born racist and hating. It is a learned behavior as a result of untrue stereotypes, outdated and biased curriculum, and the words of leaders who use hatred to stay in power. If we can change that narrative by teaching that only love and peace, instead of hatred, both in the classroom and informally in our families, but also teaching with peace and love, being understanding and sympathetic, then we can make tangible change, Ilay says. He's worried about the fact that we instill fear in kids at a very young age, and growing up, all they know is fear and hate.
3: Civilians don't have problems with civilians. The, the problem is the between the governments and the the bigger organizations but uh, the like the the civil the civilization is much bigger than the government but they make uh, the rules so uh, if you start uh, with the like in, in small ages I think that that's what we uh, solve it
0: He is also worried about the political landscape in the region. He thinks it is of the utmost importance to form governments that are better at representing us, one that reflects the ideas of what Eli calls most citizens, who he says wants this conflict to be resolved, and are willing to make compromises to reach that solution. Liran, 18-year-old Israeli, has a lot to say on that topic. I don't know. I think it's a little bit of
4: everything. I think it's just a, it's just a massive melting pot in terms of, uh, problems. Everyone contributes and I mean, everyone, the general perception of how, the general perception of con of the conflict over generations, um, trying to reshape history, um, you know, media is a big factor, like, the common, you could say the common wisdom that's passed down, you know, that the, Oh, the, just the general ethos that's passed down from generation to generation and it's kind of preserved overall, even if like the angles change, governments have such a big part to do with it. And look, if the government can't, if if governments can't function, they can't make peace. That's about it. Like that's, it comes at the end of the day, it comes down to if your government can't function that you can't find peace. Now I think, Both sides have uh, dysfunctional governments to an extent. Um...
0: Liran takes more of an intergenerational approach to the conflict, telling me that much of the problem with solving this conflict is the persistence of teachings of hatred through generations. He says that families pass down very similar ideas and that even if people look at the conflict from slightly different angles... The, quote, common wisdom of one's parents, often with minds already solidified by hatred, is ever-present. But most of all, Liran is concerned with the politics. The fact that governments in the region aren't functioning at all, or at least the way they should be, is deeply troublesome, because he feels that if a government cannot function, it cannot make peace.
4: Our like The coalition in our government has thi- like the slimmest majority, and I am not, like, it's... You know, ignoring which side I lean to, and do I support the government or do I not support this current government, it's a matter of, even if it was flipped, even if um, the government was controlled by wild radicalists who I do not support, I still would say that it, in their view, it's still impossible to govern with a very, like, with a one-person coalition, like, with a one-person majority, because the nothing can move even if even though even their radical ideas can't be pushed through they can't bring about change if the coalition margin is so slim and that if one guy if one if one if one member of parliament is sick that's it nothing's getting passed today yeah one guy doesn't show up so it's it's, it's, i think it's i think it's bad it's especially bad considering our parliament's not that big it's only 120 people so you can't govern like you can't govern with so little like with a hundred like with uh, a one-person coalition it's just really difficult and when nothing gets pushed through and no ideas are changed or there are no new approaches and everyone argues about everything and even EP, some people argue about things it just seems like everyone's on the same page on they still will find something to argue to show their supporters that oh i am fighting for you and i think it's just a lot of like false uh, false virtue signaling, uh, that's like from the government end.
0: The divisiveness in Israeli parliament, Liran says, is a frustrating barrier to peace building measures because there is no room for compromise and majorities, if they exist, are extremely slim. Disagreements over approaches to the conflict in a political world means almost nothing gets done at all and the status quo remains. Leaders aren't willing to explore various solutions or various options that might waver from the ideas put in their heads as they grew up. This is exactly what I mean when I say solidified. Adults are psychologically unwilling to look at different perspectives because it's a foreign and scary concept to them that their ideas might not be right or just. We need leaders in power that are willing to explore new options to create peace, Liran says. 18-year-old Israeli Shraga is also focused on the politics of it all, but on a different branch.
5: This conflict's been going for a while, and I think the main reason is that the leadership of uh, the Palestinians, the PLO, Hamas, they don't want peace. And it's much easier for them to retain control if there is war, if there is like the common goal of the enemy of uh, the Jew. And I think that they're affecting with bad education like you mentioned they're affecting the uh the the small people the like the the kids the the other people who just don't want war some people they just enough leave me alone just let me live my life but they're just affecting everyone and trying to get them to uh they're enticing them against israel and i think that's the main reason that there's still conflict
0: What Schraga said here is true throughout human history. It's an all too common theme over thousands of years of human power structures that leaders use hatred and divisiveness to their own advantage. I saw it in my own country over the past few years during a particularly politically divisive time. President Donald Trump united his followers by way of hatred of various groups, such as unfounded hatred of jobs being stolen by immigrant workers from Mexico, which... Studies have said time and time again, has not, and economically will likely never occur. But what Schraga is saying is that it doesn't require rational thinking. In fact, it feeds off of irrational ideas, which is exactly what happened. By creating a common enemy, a diversion is distracting from domestic problems. In President Trump's case, it was a diversion from some economic goings-on resulting from his administration, that failed the American people. And what Shraga is saying is that it applies here as well. Palestinian leaders are unwilling to create peace because hatred unites their people and creates a distraction from the poor internal situation. The other side isn't completely exempt from this behavior, either. Marcel, 18-year-old Arab-Israeli-Palestinian, says that the issue comes from not just stereotypes, but a much broader ignorance.
6: I, I believe... It's 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 part of a bigger problem of just ignorance, ignorance, and the fact that okay, for me, like it's one of my issues is when when I talk to my Jewish friends, I realize how much they don't know about the type of struggle that minorities in Israel are experiencing. Especially because like I I might be walking in the middle of Tel Aviv with my friend. This is a situation that happened to me two months ago. I was uh, me and my friend went to a lecture. In tel aviv we walked out walked outside the lecture and we literally had two police officers approach us and ask ask, ask us for id because uh, we were speaking arabic and this is what happens when you know like the funny thing is like if, if i if i'm facing a situation where i'm talking to someone and they they hear that i don't speak with a accent in hebrew uh, I, I'm able to mask my accent very strongly, and after ten minutes, when they when they hear me say an Arabic word, they just shift their gears 100%, because they yeah. just okay stereotypes ignorance. Right. I have an Arab talking to me, so this is like wow. It's 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 very it's 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 very connected to that.
0: Jewish Israelis, he says, don't know enough about the struggles of minorities in Israel, and why should they? It doesn't impact them on a day-to-day basis. And as an Israeli-Palestinian that speaks perfect Hebrew, Marcel finds that many of his friends are surprised when he reveals that he is Arab and primarily speaks Arabic. What really struck me about his words is that concept of how he finds the attitudes of people he is talking to completely change when they have this realization. This is truly the pinpoint of the problem. We have been conditioned to treat others differently based on preconceived notions, and those are completely unfounded. Oftentimes, we're not allowing ourselves to identify with people that we supposedly shouldn't, and that shuts down any effort at peacebuilding before it even begins. Marcel continued our conversation with a story. Um, I mean,
6: what the, what, what the part of what we do in Israel is, ex- especially with MUN and like all of these different programs and that, that involve English and speaking English and debating is the, the, part of the reason why we do it because we get to learn a lot about the other people who are we're representing. And I've, from all, all of the friends that I had that I met from, through MUN and debate are right-wing people and left-wing people are, for me, they're one of the one of the closest people that I ever, I, like my closest friends basically. And I, the problem is that during conflict and during when 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 we have when we have these heated situations, like when we, for example, I was in a peace camp uh, in Vermont two years ago, one year ago, uh, two years ago, and the national law of where. Chokalium. Uh, it's in Hebrew. I forgot the name of it in English. When when, when they, where they banned Arabic? They they did not ban. They changed the status oh, okay. of Arabic in the, in Israel. When when that it happened literally in the middle of the summer camp, and everybody just forgot that we were in a summer camp. Everybody started like. Wow. Funny thing is, like half of the group, the Jewish people, like went to one side of the room, and the Palestinians went to the like the Arab Israelis went to the other side, and we had this kind of heated argument back and forth. So I think that's the problem. During conflict, we just forget everything.
0: Here, Marcel is telling an important story. He was participating in a similar peace camp program in Vermont, bringing together Israelis and Palestinians to create constructive dialogue, When news reached the camp that Arabic had been stripped of its title as an official language of Israel, this happened in summer of 2018, and it occurred after 70 years of Arabic being one of the official language, and there was no immediate reason given. Marcel says that all of the progress that had been made at that camp suddenly disappeared, people once again separated and divided. I think this story tells an important, albeit serious, lesson. We cannot expect to make long-term progress if, at each act of violence or unjust behavior, we shrink once again back into our predetermined societal groups, erasing the progress we make. We must make steady, even if slow, progress towards normalizing conversations with these sort of programs because if progress is erased every few years towards peace, we will never achieve it, and the younger generations filled with hope for a better future will soon become older generations with fixed mindsets. Alyssa is an 18-year-old self-proclaimed Russian-Ukrainian-Israeli-Palestinian, and her ideas add new perspectives to those of Moore that we heard earlier. Moore had told us that we need to connect with people in real life to actually understand them and their struggles, to have any chance of peace. And while this is true, Alyssa adds more depth as to how we can accomplish this long term. She tells us that, It has to be a truly fundamental change in the way that we conduct social interactions.
7: Palestinians don't know Israelis other than soldiers. Because immediately, once they're friends with, I have friends who are Palestinians, and they're like, yes, Israelis are bad, but you're okay. So they can understand that people themselves are not bad. And the same with Israelis. Israelis, friends of mine who are Israelis have Palestinian friends, they're like, but they're okay so they understand that the people can be okay it's just this stereotype that's stuck in their brain that not everyone is. so knowing more than one person in that group you know it's the separation
0: i've heard that so many
7: palestinians
0: yeah
7: there's palestinians as a whole the palestinian people and then there's this person that's standing in front you. And they can't seem to connect the dots between those.
0: And also it goes the other way so towards Israelis. Yeah, I I've heard that because I think I think that's, um, really sad because if we can't solve it, when people are face to face with each other, because they can't associate that the, that a good person can even be part of this group they've been taught is bad through stereotypes, you know, where, where do we go? Just one friend belonging to the other group won't solve anything because it could simply be, according to her, an anomaly. This is the way that people rationalize the contradiction between the nice people they meet who are part of groups that they're supposed to hate. Though the internet got a bit choppy in this next part, her message is clear. One is not enough.
7: One person can't represent the whole. Right. But that means you can't only know one person from that people, from that group. And people worked hard to keep it that way. It's not by accident that Israelis and Palestinians are almost completely separated, besides from, like, originally mixed city. Like-
0: Alyssa says that people are divided and kept apart to ensure this mindset that a positive interaction with another is interpreted as an anomaly instead of questioning what one has been taught. She also says that mixed cities where this is more, co- more likely to occur are disadvantaged by governments, unprioritized, because they threaten the divisiveness necessary to maintaining power, as we learned from Shraga. Imagine being an Israeli student that has recently connected with a Palestinian student that shares many of the same interests and beliefs as you, but you're reluctant to change your perception of Palestinians in general. How can just one interaction completely change one's brain after dozens of years of stereotype creation and hatred building? Instead, what we need to do is attack this issue at both of its roots, weeding out stereotypes early on and shutting down their sources, as well as exposing teenagers to as many different types of people as we can to broaden their horizons and views. Serena, 16-year-old Palestinian, was quite staunch in her views towards the conflict throughout our interview, saying a number of things I personally didn't agree with. However, she also made a fascinating point about how she grew up to support what her parents believed because that's all she knew and how hard it was for her to see the other side because of how many barriers there were in her childhood to even approaching an understanding of the Israeli narrative and Israeli history. It's
5: like, if if like as me, as Palestinian, I grew up in my side of story and, and what I believe. But not what I actually believe, what my parents believe, what my grandparents believe, what my and inside believes. So I just, like, grew up like this. So I just, like, know this story. And I just believe in it, not because I just, like, listen to my mom telling me this, because I see it, and I try to see the other side, which is something so hard to, like, to even, like, try to look at, because it's like same people who killed all of you people. So it's just hard for you to be that open to want to learn and to think right. why people yes. are doing this to you. And in the other on the other side, there's like these people the same is the same age as me that think the same way, you know. Because they they maybe maybe they don't listen to their parents, but even if they want to see stuff, Israel will show them what they want show them, you know? They will, like, the news, everything, like, it's just, like, gonna show you what you want to, like, to be shown, like, you know, it's just, like, brainwashed. And I think all these teenagers are brainwashed. And even giving, like, a gun for for an 18-year-old, like, this is, like, wow, like, I feel bad. Like, you know, it's just, like, me looking at them and just, like, feel bad of, like, how terrible this can be and no one's, like, even talking about it.
0: So she's been told to associate Israelis and Jews with violent attacks on homeless people, but she wants to know more. Most interestingly, she told me that she thinks that the same is true for many people on the other side. This was eye-opening for me. Even the people that are the most anti-Israeli government acknowledge that there are other people on the other side that are basically good and that the divide between them comes because they're not able to be exposed to other viewpoints. That's where Israel-Palestine peace builders could learn a thing or two from efforts towards peace in Northern Ireland, for example, namely the International Fund for Ireland. And that's why numerous Alliance for Middle East peace members study Northern Ireland and other successful examples of peace building to ensure we are exposing people in the most effective way to other viewpoints and other people, other cultures. There is likely no better question to ask the teens caught in the crossfire of this conflict, experiencing everything from biased media to rocket fire on a daily basis, than what they believe to be perpetuating it all. Because if adults haven't solved it by now, it seems likely to me both that they're making little progress and that they're attacking the wrong areas. Here are the takeaways of what we just explored. Talking, humanizing, political overhaul, and consistent progress are all of the utmost importance to long-lasting solutions. Yaniv, Alyssa, and more tell us that we need to provide opportunities for humanization and degradation of stereotypes in everyday life. Ilay, Leran, and Shraga focused on the politics, both how leaders are using hatred for the purposes of maintaining power and how frustrating the deadlock is in parliament as a result of hardened mindsets. Marcel and Elisa champion consistent progress, demanding that we ensure small but steady steps towards peace and understanding. It feels overwhelming to turn all of these ideas into policy changes, but I believe that we can only get started with the change that needs to happen once we take a look at our priorities. It's time to prioritize a new curriculum that represents all sects of life in the region, and to expose young people to each other from an early age. It's time to reform politics so that unity through hate is disincentivized, and so that passing legislation for good requires less roadblocks to pass. It's time to see each other and to do so consistently, as Elisa says, because otherwise positive experiences fade over time. Incentivizing integrated classrooms and workplaces is only the beginning of the work that's needed. Only when we start attacking the real root issues, the ones that our children feel are impacting them every day, do we see generational change. That will about wrap it up for our sixth episode, but if you enjoyed, stay tuned for more and check out our website at teenspeace.org, where you can check out more interviews and some of our other work. Teens for Peace looks forward to some new projects in the near future, collaborating on professional research among teen attitudes and creation of a new multi-sided curriculum. Again, I'm Max Hyman for the Teens for Peace podcast. Thanks for listening.